You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 33, Some Favorite 2020 Moments. Well, this is the year uh, that the podcast got started. And after episode one, I had 30 straight episodes with at least one guest uh, talking about several different issues and topics uh, and outside of the box approaches to uh, youth ministry, either for youth workers and their personal care or how we can teach and guide students with this unique generation and their culture and atmosphere that is so much different than the ones that came before. Uh, This is not a comprehensive list of my favorite moments. Uh, That episode would be way too long. Uh, And so what I did is I took a nice holy number in scripture, uh, seven, and I chose seven of my several different favorite moments Uh, of this year and so far of this podcast. Uh, And it will go in chronological order. Uh, So the first moment is from episode five uh, with my good buddy, Scott Savage. Scott is a pastor in Northern Arizona, and we talked about burnout. Uh, I think 2020 uh, definitely encapsulates that idea, uh, not just in ministry, but with life in general of things are so hard with social isolation um, and pressures and all of that. And so we talked about how uh, dealing with burnout needs to be something that's done in community, needs to be something where we can actually voice that with other people, share our discomfort, share our exhaustion and know that we are not alone and that we are not disqualified for ministry because of it. So here's a little snippet of my interview with Scott from episode five. So I think it's important that we find the people and the environments that we can work through our experiences in a healthy way. And I know we're we're going to talk about counseling later on, but finding those people and those environments to work through those emotions uh, in a way that actually enables me to stay in it. Cause I think that's the thing that I want to encourage people with is that if you're going through burnout and you're going through cynicism, those are not, um, death sentences for your ministry. Those are not mm. disqualifiers for your ministry future. They can yeah. be, I mean, I know people who are out of ministry because they got too cynical. I know people who are out of ministry because they burned out. Uh, but, but I think the, the, the future that I've experienced is much more the story of Jacob, you know, where I now walk with a limp, you know, I can't tell you my story and I can't lead without dealing with what I've been through. And so it just shapes me now. And I don't have the capacity I once did. Um, I don't have the recklessness that I once did. I don't have the immaturity and hubris that I once did. Um, I now have this scar. I have this limp. It's a part of my story and things I've been through, but I think in some ways I, I'm in a better place to lead and help people 
because of the hard things that I've been through. And I find that I'm able to reach and connect people that I now at 35 that I wouldn't have at 22, not just because I'm older, but because of what I've been through and how it's shaped me. I speak differently. I care differently. Um, I relate differently. And um, so while I wish I hadn't had to go through the pain, I think that uh, I now have more to offer because of what I've been through and what God has enabled me to, you know, persevere within. That was certainly an encouraging episode for me. Um, And it's good to know that Scott has written several uh, articles and resources about what we talked about. So if you go to episode five and look in the show notes, you can see those resources. Uh, He has a free ebook for you and some other articles he's written on burnout and cynicism. So make sure to go check that out. Uh, Our next moment from 2020 is from the next episode after Scott's episode six. This was with Mikaela Tenney and Carly Loving. uh, And we talked about racial tension. Uh, This was very soon after the murder of George Floyd. And we talked about how dealing with racism in the church and with culture Um, It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be critical race theory or some other big um, system or whatever, or it's nothing, right? Um, We need to be able to think about how we help people who are in need and who are asking for it. Uh, And this segment where Michaela was talking about how she thinks of racism fitting into an overall narrative in our in our culture or just isolated incidents uh, really hit home. So here is an excerpt from episode six. Initially, as as I'm reacting to these incidents, you know, I would see posts uh, about, um, you know, injustice from some of my white brothers and sisters. And that initially encouraged me because they were voices that I had not yet heard or seen speak out about topics like this. And so that was initially encouraging in the midst of despair because you're going, okay, finally, somebody else is one using their platform um, or, or finally just breaking the silence or, or maybe just finally realizing for the first time, Hey, this is not okay. And I need to say something about it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was, I was grateful for that. But then when it continues to happen and when it it keeps happening, um, you know, in, in such quick succession, um, you have to wonder, you know, is is there really something that can be done? Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's always a bigger story, you know, in talking about, isolated events versus um, a broader issue. There's always a bigger story. We're all part of a story that connects each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a disservice to, you know, think about whether or not it's isolated or whether it fits into this bigger story, because we are all part of this bigger story. You know, we are all walking through this together. And my thing is, if a people group is crying out and saying, this is unfair, this is unjust, you know, please, we need people to to look at us and, and be on our side and, and advocate for us, you know, hear that cry. As a buddy of mine pointed out after listening to that episode, there was a lot of grace extended in that conversation by those two ladies in ministry. To me, um, you know, we tend to think of racism as 
overt, over the top, super obvious. Uh, and there are cases like that, but a lot of it uh, is implicit. A lot of it, um, really, you have to look and see. There's a pattern here. There are things that are going on. And when we have uh, our black brothers and sisters or people of any ethnicity um, talking about how they have experienced certain things and what they see still going on in their lives and the lives of their friends, family members, is it up to us to say, well, I don't think that's what it is. So I don't think you're experiencing that, right? We shouldn't be so quick to dismiss trauma, to dismiss um, something that people are going through when you see an obvious pattern. Now, um, you know, I think when there are cultural responses to things, whatever it is, whether it's racism, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's whether you like this or that, uh, unfortunately, the social reaction to those things is much like our culture, polarized. It's either way on this extreme or way on the other extreme. And when that happens, things in the middle that actually need the attention of the church, of people who care, uh, those things are missed because we're too busy trying to cram something into a specific formula or a specific system or whatever else, you know, and those systems might exist. But we need to look at everything that's going on, not just say, well, this one thing, you know, it wasn't really racism. So all of this stuff is just made up. Or, you know, if there are certain crimes um, against people and we think, well, it looks like it, it, it could be racism. Uh, I need to actually know what happened in the story. Or, you know, hey, was there people of color who were actually killed, you know, uh, in this or, or harmed, I uh, just see that some people were shot. And so if we see something like that without even looking past two or three words in the headline and say, automatically, it's another issue of racism, it very well might be. But I think we need to be able to look and admit when things, you know, fit into a certain category of is this hurtful or not? Is this affecting people or not? And that's the other thing we have to consider is from our point of view, something might seem racist or not racist. But if you are a certain ethnic group and you experience something, that totally changes your perspective. And that's why I wanted to have Michaela and Carly on because they are both black sisters in ministry. Um, They have a very different uh, perspective. They have a different experience growing up, and uh, they have distinct experiences from one another. Uh, If you listen through the episode, you hear how their ministry experiences are actually pretty different from one another. And so that highlights the main point of that episode. We need to have dialogue. We need to not be afraid to use the words injustice and oppression when they are mentioned throughout the Bible multiple times, especially in the prophets. Um, And God didn't want to hear uh, the people's worship if they were committing acts of injustice and oppression and allowing them to continue. So are we listening to uh, our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities? 
or are we just looking for some kind of political commentary or convenient uh, system to fit our opinions? We need to be listening and engaging. All right, this next uh, episode is with Dr. Andy Root. This was episode 13. We talked about his book, The End of Youth Ministry. And in that book, um, Dr. Root looks at how uh, we should craft our ministry approach around current social expectations and trends within parenting and the culture um, and where students find their narrative driving experience. Um, Is church, is the ministry just something that is a good element in their overall uh, narrative and life? Or is it something that's paramount and foundational to how they are formed for the rest of their life? Because parents look to other things, and so do students, and say, well, we want to make sure we don't miss out on this opportunity and it becomes a competition. So how do we deal with that? Let's listen in on this short clip from my conversation in episode 13 with Dr. Andy Root. I want to frame for those people, but what I want to frame in this book is the kind of odd thing here is it feels like participation in the youth ministry, particularly the youth group, is somewhat eroding. But what I want to argue is that one of the reasons that that's eroding is not because we're dealing with, particularly in our middle class settings, um, worse parents, but better parents, that they're Mm -hmm. actually more invested, more engaged in their kids' lives. Mm -hmm. So there are are deeper cultural forces at play. And so the kind of whole book really rests on to be able to get to this kind of sense of joy. It rests on the sense that kind of rests on this certain philosophical anthropology that says that all human beings have some deep kind of implicit, sometimes explicit, but for sure implicit sense of what a good life is. And unfortunately, when parents do the equation in their head of, uh, especially when they realize like you're, 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 their kid's a finite creature and there's only so many hours in a day. And particularly now on this Wednesday night, there's a conflict with the opening night of the drama that their kid has been in, or Mm -hmm. they find out that the great violin teacher that they've been wanting to get lessons with for three years has an opening, but it's only on Wednesday nights. And so now, now they have to make the decision. Okay. Do we basically not do faith formation or confirmation or youth group for the next eight months? Or do we say no to this really good thing? This, this, this thing, this activity that our kid likes, that we think will form them in the future, but that will ultimately, we think, shape them for a good life. So as hard as it is for us to face, I think culturally what's happened is all these other activities, these things I call the things, sports and, and test prep and choirs, you know, traveling choirs, chess club, whatever they might be, mm-hmm. that parents do not explicitly, but implicitly run an equation in their head of what will help, which one of those activities will help their kids live a better life. Mm -hmm. And youth group just keeps falling down the list. And it is because they want their kid to be happy, but they want their kid, most definitely they want their kid to be happy. But they're also, I think parents are scared to death or feel very disempowered in how their kids will answer the question, who am I? I often like to remind our parents uh, that they are the primary disciple makers of their students. And what they get at the church really 
should be a supplement to the spiritual upbringing, teaching, and guiding that is going on at home and elsewhere. Um, And so when parents are trying to weigh options uh, in this very, very busy atmosphere and culture, uh, what will make their kids happy, successful? How do you define success? Um, And more importantly, how does their faith, who they are in Christ, uh, how does that fit in? Is it an element or is it foundational? That is a good question that parents need to think about with their students uh, when they plan their schedule, when they plan um, a track of what junior high, high school going into college is going to look like, uh, because there are several um, facets of discipleship, mentorship, knowing what to look for, how to keep growing in your faith that needs to happen. And often that doesn't happen, and the church uh, ministry is usually treated as another program or another option, which isn't uh, with mal-intent. It's with good intentions that parents and students have their schedule and fill it. However, uh, when we see all of the data about the high, high number of high school students who uh, pull away from their faith— when they get into college, then we should look at the different variables that get those students to that place of leaving their faith. And I think this is definitely one of them. I definitely encourage you to not only go back and listen to that episode with Andy, but to get his book, The End of Youth Ministry. Uh, The next uh, favorite moment of 2020 uh, is episode 14 with Paul Ward. Uh, Paul is a chaplain, a youth speaker, uh, and he currently works uh, as a chaplain at a facility that helps teenagers. And I've mentioned trauma several times, especially back with episode six. And when our students have trauma, um, do we know how to handle it? And more importantly, do we know where we can send them to get help? Who can actually help them? Obviously, our Lord is the main source of help, health, wisdom, love, and encouragement, and healing. Uh, But on a practical, who is God gifted to be able to help these students with these things level, I think far too often we try and fit that role instead of abdicating it to someone who can better help. So let's listen in to this excerpt from episode 14 with Paul. Uh, So Paul, have you experienced any examples of trauma in students that have come into your facility caused by well-meaning adults with good intentions, but they had bad methods that maybe resulted or led to trauma for those students? Yeah. um, Yeah. And that happens a lot. Um, I, I, I do a, a kind of a seminar thing and I call it do no harm because we're super well-intentioned people, you know, in youth ministry you have you have pastors, volunteers, um, you know, whoever who really want to help, who really want to be there. And sometimes when we're not careful, we actually do more harm than good. 
And so that my whole uh, seminar that I do is, is focused on that alone. But I think the big thing is that we need to recognize our lane and stay in it. Um, it is a big one. Um, realize that there are good people out there that God has given gifts and graces to do counseling and therapy. Like that is a spiritual gift from God to be able to help kids through those things. And if you're not gifted in that way and you haven't gone through the the study and the education and the experience to do it, then don't do it. I know typically, I think the pattern over the last several decades, especially within the evangelical church, uh, has been we need to save counseling and therapists uh, for people who have no other option. Like this is the last option and if this very extreme uh, step doesn't work, then it's all over, right? Um, when, uh, you know, I think... But we are gratefully realizing that that's not true and that the stigma that the church has held against mental health um, needs to be shattered and we need to think about all the needs that our students have. Yes, they have spiritual needs. Yes, those spiritual needs can tie to what's going on mentally, emotionally, all of that. Um, certainly, um, you can even frame it as that's where it's based. However, just because we are ministers and we know the truth of the gospel and the power of our Creator that doesn't mean we can automatically fill every need in a person's life, a student's life. Uh, there are people, as Paul mentioned, who are well gifted, educated, and trained and have a heart for certain areas of ministry and helping people. And trauma is something that is pretty tricky because um, for any kind of trauma case, we know that there can be a re-triggering of it, um, another experience of something that happened months before or years before. And we need to be able to pass along our students to people who are trained and can better help them in those moments than we can. That's part of being the body of Christ, the church working together. This next moment uh, is from episode 18 with Caitlin Shess. We talked about her book, The Liturgy of Politics. Uh, this was a fantastic read, and politics, certainly in 2020, but really over the last uh, four years, especially uh, those conversations, if you can call them that, I would call them yelling sessions, uh, both online and in person. Um, they have grown exponentially. And so how are we to help guide and train our students on approaching politics as a believer and looking at the whole spectrum and the whole picture and not typecasting or stereotyping um, certain uh, and we need to be able to train our students on how to approach uh, the entire political spectrum and not to demonize um, people who think differently than we do, uh, because undoubtedly there are Christians who will be in heaven. Uh, the new heaven and new earth 
and we will be worshiping alongside them, and we will have uh, strongly disagreed with them and even think that their opinions are of the devil. Um, And so we need to have discernment. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, this is also um, an example of where we need to have more dialogue and certainly more listening. So how do we engage well as a believer uh, in politics? Let's listen to this short clip with Caitlin from episode 18. But what he will tell you is that part of what it means to be a Christian who's part of a political party is to push that party when it's doing something wrong. He's not there to just be a full loyalist to the Democratic Party, agree with everything they say. And I hope the same would be true of Christians who tend to find themselves more aligned with the Republican Party is that, okay, there are some political preferences I have that make me more like this party than the other one. But I don't come there to find my ultimate sense of identity, to find my primary community. I have that somewhere else. And so I can use this thing strategically and creatively. It can serve certain goals for me, but not have to be the sum total of my engagement. And even if I'm a part of a party, having the ability to say, for example, this upcoming election, you know, all these people in my church are asking me, they're not asking me, thank goodness, who to vote for, because I would say, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> but they are, they are saying, like, how do, how do I think about this? You know, how do I think about mm. two parties that there's things I agree with in both, there's some really awful things in both, and I don't know what to do. As we currently deal with uh, bitter disputes about the election, uh, which undoubtedly will last all the way up to Inauguration Day, and in some ways go well beyond them. Um, It's important for us to be able to recognize um, what issues uh, in our world, in our nation specifically, um, have biblical values and principles attached to them, because there are several that are scattered among both of the major political parties here in America. And can we have dialogue? Can we listen? Can we disagree and still be united in what matters? Our faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Uh, This next episode uh, was with my buddy, Zach Workin. Uh, Zach is the network lead for Youth Ministry Booster Um, This is a podcast, but also a network um, where people sign up for a year-long program. They have mastermind sessions, small groups, uh, resources. I'm currently enrolled in this network. And we talk about the plethora of youth ministry resources available uh, in this day and age, how to manage time well, and how to approach soul care in youth ministry. So here is a short clip from episode 20 with my buddy, Zach. You are not a consumer. You're not a creator. You're a curator for the care of what your students and families need. And I think that's a, it's it's a mindset shift. It's a role realignment. And it's really an identity remembrance because what happens is, at least in some conversations that I have with student ministers is that they'll spend eight, 10, 12 hours on a 20 minute piece of sermon or, or maybe even like YouTube content. And that's for a full-time minister. If a fourth of your week is 20 minutes of a talk, you are missing out 
truly, I think you're missing out on the ways in which you can invest in the leaders, students, and families of your church. Like if, if you are spending, and that's where I think uh, we, we talk a lot with our ministry community at Booster, like like knowing how your time is spent. I mean, it, time is an investment, right? Like, like money is a resource, time is a resource. And if you're spending all of this time on a very small sliver of time that you have with your students. I loved how he framed that, being a curator. Uh, I think we either feel like we have to be a performer or a creator of everything that we do. And those are certainly involved, but in order to have a healthy approach to ministry and delegation and making sure the time we spend with our students is prioritized and valuable, um, we should be able to get resources and um, maybe not use them as turnkey Um, but be able to take what we like, maybe edit it just a little bit to be able to fit what our current series is or what we're talking about with our students and make sure that we maximize ministry time, uh, encouraging and training and guiding our volunteers, uh, discipling our students, showing up to their events, uh, and being able to really be more of an overall Uh, full-capacity minister or youth ministry worker. This final clip, this final uh, favorite memory for this episode from 2020 is episode 26 uh, with Dr. Daryl Bach. We talked about his book, Cultural Intelligence. Uh, This was the special election day episode and very much tied to uh, the thought of my conversation with Caitlin, um, we need to be able to have dialogue with one another. But even if we agree that we need that, uh, do we know how? Do we know how to approach that? Um, where do we start when we strongly disagree with someone? Um, and how do we make sure that we're listening and knowing what we're talking about Um, with those important conversations because we represent Christ with all of those conversations and interactions. So how do we do it as believers? How do we set that tone? Let's listen in to this excerpt with Dr. Bach from episode 26. If I'm forming my rebuttal while someone is addressing me, I'm not really interested in hearing what it is they have to say and why. Yeah. And so the first step is to work to make sure you're understanding what the other person is saying to you and why the assessment of that can come later can come a little bit down more down the road when you all are actually agreed about what it is that you're talking about. And so most difficult conversations need two steps. The first is, are we understanding each other? And and more importantly, are we understanding what's motivating us to say what we're saying, what our concerns are? And then you move to the assessment level. Unfortunately, we always conflate those. We conflate them in a way in which we try and create a debate because we're worried about who's right versus trying to understand one another. And when you do it, when you engage on that basis alone, you almost never make progress in a conversation. It sounds pretty basic, but that sort of approach and that sort of thinking really doesn't happen, especially online. Um, So as believers, when we engage others in difficult conversation, um, we need to be able to understand 
And that means we need to listen. We need to be able to realize what level, uh, how intense this subject and topic is, because we tend to make everything the most important when we talk about it. Um, But we need to value the relationship we have with that person. Uh, If we don't have a relationship with that person, we need to consider that they are looking at us as a believer in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. That's how they should see us. And so it's very important for us to learn how to engage with one another, and that leads to overall uh, a healthy engagement with the culture. Or, as Dr. Bach points out in his book, cultures, plural. And that is the final uh, memory uh, from this selection of favorite memories from uh, 2020 in the podcast so far. So thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, Next week, I will have an overview of some things that happened in the year 2020, how it has affected ministry and how it affects youth workers moving forward. I encourage you to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so we can be seen by more people and help them in their ministry. You can check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. You'll find every episode, a comprehensive list of our guests with their bios, um, some merchandise you can buy to support the podcast, and some other resources and organizations to help you in your ministry. And I have a very, very exciting announcement regarding a series starting in February that I will share in a few weeks. So until then, Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. Adios.